Hey, all my IFG friends, this is Steve. I want to say, you know, if you like movies like I do, we've started a new podcast called Happy Hour Flicks. Uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. It's all about nostalgic movies that we love, and we bring on special guests each episode, and we also have specialty cocktails made for each one, too. So it really is an hour of a good time talking about movies that we love, like Gremlins, uh, Seven, uh, Free Willy. Uh, we talk about The Last Starfighter also. So, I mean, we kind of run the gamut across all the decades and really have a great time. So I wanted to invite you to come over and join us at Happy Hour Flicks, anywhere podcasts are found. This is the, the independent, independent, independent filmmaker's guide from Framework Productions. Framework, Framework Productions. Producing an indie pilot for a potential series is almost making like half a feature film. But usually it has a fraction of the schedule and budget, and that is trying to sell a larger idea that's hours and hours of content that isn't even conceived yet to potential buyers or investors. It is a different fork of the same river as a feature film, but many times involves a very large creative and financial commitment with less time and fewer resources overall. Writer and director Blake McWilliam assembled a very talented group for his pilot Timberwood, Blake. So if people are not, if they've not clicked on it and watched it yet, what is Timberwood? Timberwood is um, my attempt to make something, I suppose. It's an independent pilot for a comedy series about counselors who go to summer camp. Um, we've all seen lots of uh, summer camp shows, TV, uh, TV or movies. You've got your like camp nowheres and your heavyweights from back in the day you've got your uh your uh what's the netflix one the wet hot uh, american summer yeah wet hot american summer of course and that one featured uh counselors and of course like 40 year old paul rudd playing a 18 year old counselor which is amazing and hilarious and and awesome um but the show is really uh trying to boil boil into it the experiences that I had working at a summer camp in upstate New York and, and what, and what that life-changing experience was for me. And, uh, and so I went out with a bunch of friends and, uh, and shot this pilot. Yeah. And the cast is pretty, pretty good. Like a pretty, uh, all of way. I mean, they cover a lot of different TV shows. You have a lot of great actors in there with a lot of really punchy dialogue. What was it like kind of developing and putting that all together? Yeah, you know, so many things about the about shooting the pilot were really serendipitous, actually, including um, and especially the casting. Uh, I don't. I'm not. I'm from Canada. I don't work in um, in the United States very often, but we wanted to shoot this at the camp that I used to work at, and so we knew that we were going to be tapping into uh, American actors. And, uh, you know, the typical route would be to get some casting directors on board and hold auditions and all of that stuff, which is what we did. But finding the casting directors was, was a big challenge. Uh, but once we did, the ones that we found actually had worked at one of the camps that's owned by the guy that, of the camp that we were shooting at. So it was like this strange sort of serendipity in, in that case. And what they brought to, to the film... Um, Ali Beans and Daryl Eisenberg was access to all of these incredibly talented actors based in New York. Um, a lot of them have a lot of Broadway cred and things like that, but people like um, Jeremy Holm, who's all over House of Cards and all sorts of other things. Uh, Mr. Robot, we have uh, Arian Reinhardt, who's you know on the Sound of Music Live. We have Julian Giello, who's um, 
been on tons of shows like Iron Fist and Ashley Sharp Chestnut and uh, Jesse Komatar, all these like really kind of lesser known, but super talented actors. And we were just really lucky that they all decided, hey, yeah, sure, we'll go spend a week up at camp <laughs> for almost no <laughs> money and, and uh, with people that we've never met before. So it was a really cool experience bringing everybody together. Um, you know, we, we brought uh, Michael Trevino out from LA, who again, serendipitously just happened to be in between projects, he was taking like comedy classes at UCB in LA and became friends with um, with one of the co-writers of the show, uh, Ian Fisher, and just kind of really liked the vibe and wanted to be a part of the project and decided he'd come out for a week as well. And uh, and so just for some reason, everybody just fell in love with, with the script and the project and was really down to just come and have some fun and play in the sandbox. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, creating a TV pilot is basically, especially it's 40 minutes, I think, runtime, right around 40 minutes. So it's basically yeah. creating half or a little, you know, around half a feature film. Yeah, exactly. We try to approach it that way and not really um, try to limit ourselves to what would be a standard like broadcast comedy, meaning somewhere in the range of like 23 to 28 minutes and rather just let it just kind of do whatever we wanted, really. Uh, I think it can be shorter. I think we we learned a lot in the process of making it. Um, but, you know, especially the way that people are watching TV these days on Netflix and other places, comedies aren't necessarily tied down to these like more uh, structured 23 minute, um, you know, how do we sell advertising on this show and rather can be what they, they want to be. And I, I hope that that kind of continues to expand in the comedy world and they can, and we can see Project that projects that go a little longer and, and allow jokes to breathe and, and have a little bit more fun with um, with lengths. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's nice because then the pace can dictate it, not the not the clock. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, of course, we're, we're restricted by a lot of other things that that force our hand in, in certain ways, including the amount of time we had to shoot it all. Um, but, you know, that's that's kind of part of what what the process was and, and why we were doing it in the first place. So how long did you spend in pre-production and prep? And then how much time did you spend on set shooting it? Uh, we were in prep for about two months, give or take. Um, but, you know, the best laid plans, a few days before we, uh, we, were, pl we were scheduled to shoot, um, the camp that we were filming at, our, our only location, um, they had a wedding that was scheduled for the weekend. We were supposed to start on the Friday. All of the cast and crew were going to come up. We were all going to meet each other, have a have a fire, do a read through. All of these things. The whole schedule was laid out. It was perfect. And uh, last minute, you know, the Wednesday before we were supposed to leave from Toronto to to New York, um, the the owner of the camp called and said, "The wedding doesn't want anybody else at camp over the weekend while they're there." So now. Now we've got to move the entire schedule by three days. I'm paying for this whole thing out of pocket just as a labor of love. And now I've got to find a place to house and feed, you know, 35 cast and crew that are coming from all over the country or countries, I guess, um, in upstate New York, middle of nowhere. How am I going to do this? Um, and so, you know, all of that two months of pre-production was wonderful but it also just got thrown out the window as soon as, uh, as soon as that happened. 
So what happened? I mean, that's that's nuts. I mean, that happens, unfortunately, seems like all the time in the indie world. Like everyone we talk to has a story of like, we didn't have half our locations before we started shooting. We're trying to find something. Then you lose something. So, I mean, but that that kind of sucks whenever you kind of have to take a hit right before you can even get started being like, and now you have to be because I'm sure you had everybody staying just at the camp and it was probably a little more affordable with everything. And now you got to find like hotels and accommodate or like transport for all these people. Exactly. And, uh, you know, what it ended up being was uh, a bunch of Airbnbs. There's a there's like a ski resort town nearby and they happen to have a bunch of Airbnbs that happened to have, you know, five or six bedrooms in them. So we could actually like load them up. And, you know, the night before we were supposed to start shooting, it ended up me running up up and down stairs in this Airbnb that had two kitchens cooking food for everybody cooking dinner for everyone as everyone was getting to know each other and having you know having the fire that we had planned and um and it ended up being this really amazing bonding um bonding experience which is what I had hoped to establish by all staying up at camp and and um trying to kind of live the life of the characters that we're we're trying to tell the story of um, so we still were able to embrace some of that, but you know, uh, every indie filmmaker has stories like this where it's just like you're you're doing everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're even the cook in this one. I don't think most people <laughs> end up getting to be the cook. Yeah, the cook, the driver, the the everything. Yeah, I mean, not without help, of course. There's a whole team around and friends, and everybody's everybody's all hands on deck. But. Uh, but that doesn't reduce the stress that much. Yeah, I'd say in that particular scenario, I think you can see it in the in the in the product too, because it does feel like these people know each other, and they've been. That sounds like a camp scenario, like you know where it is kind of everybody in one couple of big rooms around a fire and kind of eclectic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I was. That's what I was hoping for going in. I mean, I worked at this camp, and you know, walking around the camp again for the first time in like fifteen years brought back all of these feelings and nostalgia in myself. But that's exactly the feeling that I was trying to capture with the show and, and intend to capture with the show. And at the end, after we had finished shooting and everybody had been living up at camp together for the week and eating together and sleeping together, all the, well, not sleeping together, but you know what I mean. And not, uh, not maybe not in the first week, if you guys had stayed there a little bit if longer. If we stayed one more week, we all know summer camp. Um, but everybody's living in these bunks, everybody's eating up at the dining hall, eating craft, you know, mac and cheese and all of those things. And after we finished shooting, um, you know, we had, we had our your typical wrap party and the next morning everybody's heading home and we're packing into vans and all of those things. And um, people were crying. People were, people were experiencing that kind of sense of, I don't wanna leave the same way that I did and other counselors do and other campers do at the end of the summer of summer camp. So in a week, I, I really feel like we achieved kind of capturing and creating that, that, same, um, that same feeling. And so regardless of the end product, I feel like it really achieved what I was trying to do with the actors, at least as a director, is to, to create that experience for them and, um, and to have them embody it. And, and I think that they did. So unlike an independent feature film where you kind of write one script, you shoot one script, you distribute one script, uh, developing a, a pilot more or less in this scenario, you're, you're trying to sell an idea, a world, a character or a group of characters for a longer duration. What prep were you doing in addition to that pilot? Like, were you making a, a like a Bible and a treatment that you were preparing sure. to pitch with? Yeah, yeah. Um... Our, I mean, the original intention with the show 
with Timberwood in general. And this is a result of where I'm from, meaning I'm not plugged into the typical Hollywood system in any way, even in, even in the independent world. So there's no managers, there's no agents, there's no, you know, reps that are trying to uh, open doors at Netflix or wherever. And instead, all I have is the, the opportunity to try to make what I want to make and hope that that will go somewhere. Um, and if that all gets thrown out the window and somebody makes it a different way or with somebody else, you know, that's all, that's all well and good. But what I, what I intended to do was make the series independently. Um, and so the first step of that was to make the pilot, but in preparation uh, for the entire series itself, and before we even shot the pilot, uh, my co-writers, uh, Ian Fisher and AJ Vogie and I, um, I took them down from Toronto to Woodstock, uh, which is very close to the camp that we shot at. And we spent a weekend uh, just drinking whiskey and touring the camp and the area. And we beat it out and outlined the entire 10 episode series, um, including the pilot and over the you know, following year or so since that, since that first time we, we hunkered down in that cabin, uh, we honed it and we wrote all of the scripts. We wrote the pilot, we honed the pilot. And, and I think with the pilot, uh, we're thinking, we're thinking about it not so much as a, as a series, but as like one long 10 episode story. And so it was really, really, uh, uh, useful to have, to know where these things are going. And there's, there's things in the pilot that maybe don't, land really well but in episode three the setup was in the pilot for example um and so i think with the pilot itself if i'm just narrowing the scope to talking about that um i think if we if someone watches the pilot and they want to watch a second episode i think that it's achieved what we're what we're trying to achieve and the challenge is trying to do that while also introducing an amount of plot in that pilot as well as um, you know, introduce all of the characters, introduce the locations. So, so try to get all of that information across, but also make it engaging and interesting enough that somebody is going to go, yeah, I, I want to watch more of this. And in that way, I think it's 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 a different challenge than a feature film. It's almost like trying to do the first twenty minutes of a feature film, um, but on its own. Which is uh, which is <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think I don't I don't know where to go from there other than that that was the challenge and, and I hope that we succeeded. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like you're writing the exposition, but the exposition has to have its own beginning, middle and end and its own little container of excitement and twists and character, especially with comedy. Comedy is a, an extremely hard, probably, I mean, I think it is the hardest thing to write and it's a huge risk. So, I mean, kudos to you for also going the distance and making one. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I agree. I think comedy, th everything's hard. Everything is hard. Uh, drama's hard. Everything's hard. And comedy, you're right, on the page is hard, is hard to write. Um, and we really tried to just uh, bring what I think the guys uh, like Seth Rogen and those guys do, which is to try to write a script that's funny so that you always have that to fall back on. But when you're shooting, it's like, let's hear what you've got and, and, and hire and work with and collaborate with actors who are hilarious all, all in and of themselves and who will improvise jokes and who will try things and, and create an environment in which that happens. And oftentimes that's the best stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've directed a couple things both ways in the comedy world where it's got a script and then you're open to improv and that is much easier. And I find it because everyone can kind of start with a base level where I've also directed some unscripted stuff where it wasn't scripted and it was totally improv based. And so many times it's so damn hard to just get the ball rolling in a direction that isn't chaos. Right, right. Yeah. What was your experience with the other direction where improvisation wasn't wasn't uh... it's a, sometimes it's harder if you don't have a lot of time my experience was it's harder if, to get people to feel comfortable enough to improv to like really some especially if they're not super familiar with improv and it's not their normal thing or they're a younger actor i find it's a little harder you know just saying like yeah it's cool you can don't go off the script nine times out of ten they follow right on the script if it's not somebody you've worked with before so that was that was my experience of going the other way so how about for you yeah uh you know what it was such an amazing experience working with uh, my two co-writers. Uh, they're also actors in the show. AJ is uh, Mr. Mustache Ollie there, and Ian is uh, Mr. Love Triangle Kyle, uh, who we first meet on the bus there. Um, and just having having them, the writers, uh, there on set, in, even in scenes when they're not there, and you know, even if an actor that we're working with doesn't have something or, you know, something's happening to them. And, uh, and so one of them might whisper in an ear or something like, try this joke, try this. And, and I think once we got the ball rolling and seeing and all of the actors realizing like, oh, this, this is just fun. This isn't, this isn't stress. Nobody's relying on me to come up with gold, but I'll just say whatever's happened to me. And if they use it, they will. And it's great. Um, once everybody figured that out, then, then it really started humming for sure. And, you know, we had one day where we shot like 14 pages and all because the actors were so prepped, but we went off script quite a bit, even in those 14 pages. And it was, and it still all kind of stayed on the rails somehow. How about shooting stylistically comedy? Because it's, it, there is a thing to it. There's a trick, you know what I mean? There's like, it's not quite like drama where you're kind of going wide over, over, close up, close up. You know, comedy has a pace and usually it doesn't happen in a single shot. Yeah, that's right. We did, we did on this, we did shoot with two cameras just for that reason, partly because we didn't have, um, we didn't have, we only, we shot it in four and a bit days, um, which is really, really fast. Uh, but, and so, to try to get as much as we could, um, we shot with two cameras and, and that allowed us to, you know, capture what the actors were doing, even if it was all, like off camera. So if we were doing two close-ups, we've got both of them and you can, you can use the joke or you cannot use a joke, but at least you have both of them. Um, and yeah, you're right. Comedy. I, you know, I don't know. I think I'm always looking for ways and I, I don't, I'm not, I don't think for a second that I was able to do this as well as I would have liked to on the pilot, but I'm always looking for ways, even in comedy to enhance what's happening story-wise with how you're, how you're filming it and the way that you're, the way that you're filming it. So, um, you know, just trying to be consciously, you know, is it handheld? Is it not? Is it solid? Is it not? Is it all wide shot? Is it like, what, what are those things doing to enhance the story that you're telling, even if it is comedy and you're kind of, able to use the crutches of jokes all the time um so you know that that's what that's what i try to think about is was it that way for you in comedy as well yeah in comedy pretty much two cameras all the time for me like i think that that's pretty pretty standard nowadays because it to me 
unlike drama and i don't know why it is but drama feels like one camera is what i'd more focus on because i feel like I really want to hone in and get real serious about that one angle and really intent intend what you're doing mm-hmm. in the edit whereas comedy things happen in this subtle so subtle comedies may lives and dies and you know especially in what you guys kind of did in timberwood with this dialogue driven real snappy hack fast-paced dialogue there's going to be certain little things about gives and takes and overlaps and tones that you just you gotta get and you know what i mean usually you'll cut at least for me i'll cut between takes of two cameras more than i will wide shot to close up from two different things unless it's like a reaction or something you know totally and yeah exactly it's almost in post it's almost the process of which camera captured the joke not and i don't care what angle it is as long as we got it yeah and you reverse engineer from there so you end up with weird coverage sometimes getting into stuff but that yeah exactly yeah totally uh yeah that's really fascinating for sure and you know the funny thing about comedy is that you just never know when or how it's going to it's going to happen. I mean, my favorite joke in the whole thing is Ollie and um, and Becca talking about his mustache, and he says, "All it thanks is my dad's," mm-hmm. and that's a joke that AJ came up with literally on the van ride down to camp. Like we're we're on our <laughs> way, we're leaving Toronto, and he's like, "I have." he just showed up with a mustache and he's like, I have a joke. So, you know, you just never, and you know, they, they happen also while filming. So you just never know where it's going to happen and, and when it's going to happen. So yeah, your camera better be on it. Yeah. You definitely, I definitely laughed at that joke. I thought that was just totally unexpected and really clever. Yeah. When he first said it in the van, we, like that got us through the whole drive for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, since we mentioned the cameras, what cameras and lenses did you shoot on? Uh, we were on Alexa minis um, and we shot on uh, Cook S4s. Okay, great. Yeah. We had one set. So it's always uh, with two cameras is a challenge because you kind of want the same focal length on both angles. Like if you're doing two overs, but you know, we're always just swapping lenses. So the coverage was very hilarious to be getting because one camera is medium, one camera is closer and you just never could kind of get the two shots at the same time that you wanted. But you know, it, that's, better than not having anything at all yeah oh yeah absolutely i mean do you uh do you favor twos versus singles like you know or do you go do you do a lot of close-ups in comedy no i think i i wanted to i it's funny uh the collaboration with my cinematographer was amazing he's a he's an awesome guy who who shot a film that um i always loved as far as canadian films go called one week with joshua jackson and um my original cinematographer, who is one of my best friends, had to pull out because he got offered this giant movie and I completely understand that. And a couple of weeks before we were shooting, I was basically calling everybody and somehow Arthur Cooper took my call and was like, sure, I'll come down, that sounds fun. Uh, so he brought a lot to it, but he, he definitely pushes into that more, you know, long, long lens, tighter shots. And it was kind of a constant, like, no, we've got to be, we've got to back up. We've got to be wider. Even in, even in close-ups, it's like, I wouldn't want to be much tighter than we are right now. Right. Um, and so I think comedy, for some reason, just plays better in wider shots. I mean, it depends on the comedy, too, because obviously sometimes the joke might be, if you're doing like a parody, you know, like now the joke becomes something else. Like the shot becomes part of the joke. But many yeah. times the camera is supposed to be invisible, right? Or whatever, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Unless it's like a gag joke where you need to show a close up of the puke on the floor, it's like 
why don't bother <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. and you know it's like it's 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 like filmmaking language as well there's moments where we do go closer but those are meant to be more emotional times you know when uh when kira and liam are on the on the roof of the of the bar uh smoking a joint it's like it's all playing in pretty tight pretty tight stuff until ollie shows up um and and the same when kyle and kira are, are sitting on the log at the end uh, you know, we do get a little tighter because we want to feel a little bit more intimate. It's not, and, and those are moments that are more dramatic than comedic. So, um, yeah. you can get away with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what about, uh, your rehearsal process? Like, I mean, do you, it sounds like you had like a read through with everybody kind of just at the camp and kind of getting everybody on the same page, but how would you approach when you're actually going to put a scene up and stage it? Yeah. Um, it's funny that, I mean, the the first time that any of the actors met each other was that first night in the Airbnbs, <laughs> and even uh, Michael uh, showed up on a on a he flew in from LA that evening. We put him in a car. He drove upstate. Uh, he got in at like midnight or something. This is the first time that he's meeting anybody, including me. He only knows the one guy, um, and so that first read through I think was really important in just like seeing how everybody's going to be approaching this a little bit, you know, feeling each other out. And I think that um, that first dinner and just learning who everybody is and getting to know each other was really important, especially because these characters have to feel like they're best friends and have known each other for years. Um, and as far as staging scenes go, uh, I mean, it's because it's so driven by the actors, I always rely on um, on the actors to, okay, let's just see let's see what you do. Like, here's the room. Where, like, where, where are you? Where would you go? What, what are you saying? How would you, how would you do it? And then we tell them that's all wrong and say, no, do this. But, um, but yeah, the first thing is just, uh, like anybody, I guess, just blocking, blocking rehearsals. And the intention is not let's go full throttle and come up with all the funny stuff we can, but rather let's just kind of see how the scene plays and where the jokes might be and where people might need to stand in order to, you know, see somebody walking in from another angle or whatever. And then, uh, and then I always shoot like the actual rehearsals, like there's blocking, but you might as well just film it. It's all digital anyway. So who cares? Just film, film everything. And you were doing uh, that all on set, like walk onto set for this room and be like, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're you're going to start over here and you come over here and you do this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, okay, here's, here's, I mean, Arthur, the cinematographer, we'd, um, you know, he might say, okay, we want to look, we want to be looking this way because the sun's over there and da 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 da. Okay, great. So we know that generally we want to be in this place. Um, but oftentimes actors know better than you do about like where they, sh where they might feel better standing or where a joke might land. And, and of course there's always like, oh, we need you to end up here because of, but um, yeah, especially in comedy, it's like, uh, let them just let them play and then we'll figure out where we put our cameras. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, what finishing and mixing do you guys do in this? Where did you finish the show and do post? I wish that I could say that it was where I would love to have done it, but instead it was literally my office. It was, um, it was edited and uh, colored and mixed. Well, that's not a lie. That's a lie. I, we did have a, a sound designer, a friend of mine, Put a bunch of time into it there's a lot of uh a lot of you know little background stuff that we have to fix and um audio is so important um and in both audio and color i would love for it to be done by 
true professionals, but just the reality of what the project is, it's like, you have to just like making dinner. You got to make, you got to do everything yourself if, uh, if you don't have the cash. Absolutely. I mean, we shot a pilot, a late night show pilot, oh man, four years ago. That was like a kind of a late night comedy pilot. Um, and, uh, yeah, I edited it, colored it, mixed it all myself for years. And then like now it's been three years and literally this year I finally was able to get it colored. So that, that's an interesting kind of person. I honestly, well, also to say it looks very, very good. Like I would have thought it was professionally colored. So that goes again to your skill. Thanks. Thanks. Um, of course. Um, so, but talking about distribution a little bit, cause I think this is really where shit diverges pretty massively between a lot of the other guests we've had. Um, because usually the goal of an independent film is financial and, 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 and artistic and twofold, but you're trying to make your money back and make any profit you can. So you can make another movie, mm-hmm. but you're also trying to get acclaim enough as a creator to also draw more funding and draw more bigger talent the next time. Yeah. What yeah. was your goal with shooting a pilot for Timberwood and how have you seen that develop since you finished it? Yeah, it's interesting how that's actually, those goals have kind of changed as the as time has gone on and things have changed. And uh, like I said earlier, the original intention was to make the pilot um, with the hope of making the rest of the series as well. So the pilot acting as um, a kind of proof of concept um, to bring it around to people to show them what we could do, what the show was about, what it was like, and really just try to raise the money that we needed to produce the rest of the series completely independently with, um, with private funding exclusively. Um, and, you know, the idea, w- whether misguided or not, um, was kind of seeing what, uh, what market opportunities there are these days with streaming, with, you know, all of the, all of the big giants and thinking about the way that people are watching things and the popularity of series and thinking, okay, maybe there's an opportunity here for approaching series the way that independent feature films have always been approached, which is we're going to make this somehow. We're going to raise the money to make the feature film. We're going to ma- we'll make it, and then we'll go and sell it. It'll go at a film festival. We'll get a bunch of press, a bunch of recognition, and then somebody's going to buy it. And so the thought was, okay, let's make this series in the same way. Let's do it the way that um, that we would make a feature film. We would shoot it for m- way less budget than most TV shows would even make one episode for. And we would turn around and sell that um, to whomever was willing to buy it, but, you know, hoping that it would be someone big. Um, I wouldn't, we obviously have not been successful in doing that uh, for a number of reasons. We were very close to raising the money that we needed. Um, and that was a big, a big blow, a big, uh, a big, you know, I would, I would call it a big uh, failure, a regret, whatever, whatever, however you want to describe it. We're really trying to, to trying to do it that way. Um, and unfortunately we weren't, we weren't successful, but we were very close. So the, once, once that kind of came off the table and I'm not saying that we have stopped trying, but uh, once that failure sort of solidified, uh, we began to think about ways that we might be able to try to approach it in a more traditional way. So trying to bring it to um, industry 
and trying to uh, you know use it not so much as this is the show that we want to make, but here's an example of how the show is. Use it as a proof of concept, and and sell the show and try to try to get somebody to to come on as a producer or as a as a studio and uh, and go about it that way, which we're still in the midst of doing, and I, we haven't figured it out. The challenge for us is that we're we're in small town Canada, and so uh, you know the networks and connections and opportunities are uh, very limited uh, for us and and it's been a it's been a growing process and a learning process and and we're still on that path mm, absolutely i mean that that echoes a lot of what we experienced kind of with the the late night show that we did and i can tell you one other thing that I, I wonder if you've ever gotten this too because i feel like with a feature film people like it or they dislike it they have things they don't like about it or things they don't i feel like showing the people the pilot especially industry people Nine times out of ten, what people wanted to do was change with what we like, give notes on what we were doing as if we were creating it in the future. And most of the times that was without any context of what we were already saying we were going to change. Right. Right. Yeah. There is a there is a you know, I don't know. I don't know any development executives personally, but you hear, you know, you hear stories about how they they're making decisions or notes on. You know what? What's the famous one? Aaron Sorkin has uh, with the pilot of The West Wing, and the notes that he was receiving were, um, at the end, let's let's have all of our characters actually show up on a boat and save these like Cuban refugees that are leaving Cuba, and it was like, is <laughs> so completely ridiculous, um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, you have to hope that whoever is interested in looking at it actually sees what you're intending it to be and what and the potential of it i suppose um but oftentimes um oftentimes those two things don't align i, I don't know um yeah that's a good it's a good question i don't know i don't have enough experience i guess in that realm to really understand what was it were you receiving kind of weird notes like that on your on your pilot well, ours is a proof of concept probably as well more than a real pilot. We never really intended it to be the final version, just kind of just show a just a general direction, kind of what we thought was missing, what we thought this would be. And we would find ourselves getting notes on what we didn't have, even though we would start the conversation by saying we don't have X, we don't have Y, we will have X, we will have Y. This is a structure and content proof. This is a proof that we are the people to make this series, not that these things or the series itself and right. that i think was also a little naive so i guess that that's a great question for you because based on that i'm not certain i would do a pilot to a degree again mm -hmm. like this would you like if you could go back would you shoot the whole thing again uh that's a good question i think i think i could answer it in i think i could answer it i i could make i could give you a yes answer i could give you a no answer as well i think um because we were so close to raising the cash that we needed to make the whole series, um, I don't know that that was a failure of the pilot itself, but rather just the circumstances of trying to raise money. Um, and because we were so close, it's like, you know, I don't know that we, that I could say we shouldn't have done it. Um, on the other hand, if thinking about what, the best path forward for a show like this would have been in a traditional sense in bringing it to production companies, studios, et cetera. I think that we might've been better off 
at least I would have been better off financially um, by spending a lot of time thinking just about um, creating like a really strong trailer that maybe didn't need the whole pilot in order to make it um, as an example. Um, but you know, materials that you can use to talk about your project, um, but leaving it open enough that whoever you're trying to sell it to can influence it and think about it and um, springboard off of it rather than pigeonholing it into, do I have to buy this? Yes or no. That's exactly what I have taken away from the experience was that, you know, we kind of proved we could do it. I think we didn't think about enough whether we should do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think that going back, I would do exactly that too. I would do a really well thought out Bible. I would do a really strong treatment with a few episodes fully written. Yeah. And I would make a badass like five minute, three minute trailer. Totally. Totally. And, you know, at the same time, you talked about independent feature films as having a number of possible um, reasons why you do it. One might be to sell it and make money. The other being trying to prove what you can do and, and to make a name for yourself. And um, I think that there's a lot of more intangible benefits to what I've done, at least for me personally as a director and as a producer, um, that maybe don't show up in terms of the success of this project, but have been invaluable in uh, so many ways, both you know artistically growing, um, learning about all of this, like could I have learned this lesson had I not done it? Um, and also projects that it's led to since um, that probably wouldn't have happened had I not gone through this experience, even though they're completely unrelated. Completely. I've had the exact same experience. I mean, so to say that it is invaluable, absolutely not. Cause I mean, or absolutely it was in many different ways. Yeah. And in some ways it's like a, it's like a, it's like a film school um, by doing rather than, you know, going to an institution of some kind. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know, I guess anyone, anyone that's listening, that's thinking about, should I make this thing? You know, it's like, uh, yeah, you should make your thing. Um, you should think a lot about why you're making it and what the benefits of making it are. If your only intention is you're going to sell it to a studio, then you should probably <laughs> rethink it. But if it's like, I want to be a director and so I should direct things. And if that's the only way that you can direct something, then yeah, you probably should make it. That's very well said, actually. And I love that perspective. So if people wanted to check out what's coming up next and what you were doing now, where would they follow you? Check out my Instagram and all those things. We shot an awesome feature film that I'm really excited about. We shot last year. We're just finishing it now. It stars Paul Sparks, uh, Bruce Dern, a bunch of uh, really awesome uh, Canadian actors, Susan Kent and Nicholas Campbell and Landon Liberin. And we're, we're kind of, in some ways, as many people are victims of the current circumstances and film festival upheaval and all of those things. Uh, but we've been spending the last six months just uh, really making that film uh, even better than it might have been had we not had this opportunity. Um, so we're looking forward to early next year, uh, bringing that, that film up into, uh, into the festival circuit and, um, you know, bringing audiences to it, hopefully. What's the name of it? It's called Hands That Bind. Uh, I was a producer on the project. Uh, it's directed by super talented local director, Kyle Armstrong. Oh, very cool. And so they check out your Instagram or your website for that? Instagram, or you can check out backroadproductions.ca. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, just my name, Blake McWilliam. 
All right. Um, <laughs> Blake, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me, man. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. That was a great talk with the director and creator of Timberwood. Yep. And, uh, you know, making a pilot is so similar to making a feature film in many ways, but in some ways it's kind of the same pressure with a lot less resources. Oh, I mean, these days we all know we've entered this new age of TV pilots and TV shows where they look and feel as good, if not better than a lot of movies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this and Timberwood looks good. I, I was so surprised when he told me it wasn't colored anywhere. I mean, he, that really is a testament to his skill because it does look very good. It looks fantastic. I can't believe this was a self-funded project. It looks and feels like a legit, a legit TV pilot. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the thing, you know, the takeaway for me is with this is because we've been through this a couple of times actually with pilots and we made full, you know, fairly realized pilots that you're like, cool. And here's, it's a proof of concept. And then this is what we would change whenever we made the actual pilot. What I've learned is I think I would not do that. I would now make a trailer. I would make a really, really, really good show Bible, a great couple of scripts for episodes of, you know, great, pitch in a solid 90 to three minute trailer 90 second to three minute trailer rather than shooting the whole thing putting the time and energy and resources into making an independently produced pilot something that's not connected to a studio or a network already it's so hard to uh to sell that to the network because they're doing their own things now of course it does happen you know there are examples where it does work but boy it's hard yeah it it definitely i mean i love I love that he was starting off in the beginning saying that he was going to fund this whole film or sorry, fund the whole series. So they were going to do the whole season without it. Now, I think if you could pull that off, I think if you could pull that off at that quality, um, that might work. You might be able to get that licensed and sold. I don't know anything about what kind of monetary benefit there would get from that. Like what a streamer would pay you for that. And if that would be worth it. Um, but I think that would maybe work. I think the one-off pilot is kind of hard model anymore at least during these times it's hard um but you know what's really cool about this is um anyone listening to this can go check out uh the pilot for free online on his website right yep and sounds like he has a feature film coming out uh soon too so we can see that was that he produced and we can uh check that out too i encourage people to go check out the pilot because it's good and it's funny and i always think it's so telling to see something and then hear the creator talk about it like he did on our show yeah oh last thing i'll say is they shot that whole thing in four days. Four days, and that's 40-minute pilot. Four days um, with almost no, with very, very little budget, all favors, all love. I mean, it looks incredible, man. It looks and feels um, as good, if not better, than many, many films and pilots that have very, very large budgets. Agreed, agreed. Filmmaking is a collaborative experience, and so is this podcast. Please take a second to subscribe so you know about future episodes and leave a review. It really does help us. For more info about today's guest, please visit independentfilmmakersguide.com, where you can check out all our episodes that run the gamut of filmmaking topics. They're available in both audio and video format. IFG is created by Framework Productions. This episode was directed by James Allardyce, produced and edited by Matt Mundy and Audrey Ray McHale, and hosted by Stephen Pierce. The music is by Glassboy. Find his music on freemusicarchive.org.
See and listen to all the episodes plus bonus content at independentfilmmakersguide.com. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, we just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about two personal things. First, we wanted to thank you, our listening community and our wonderful guests, learning so much together along the way and continuing to learn sharing our stories, making a lot of new friends, and collaborating, which is exactly what this is all about. Which also brings me to my second point. In great part to many of these new relationships, we wanted to let you know that we've taken a lot of this advice ourselves and made our own narrative feature film, Heard. H-E-R-D, Heard, which is premiering this October on Friday the 13th in select theaters as well as on VOD. Personally, I think it's the perfect kind of scary movie to watch during our favorite scary season. So we'd love for you to celebrate with us and watch Heard. You can pre-order it on Apple TV and of course do the communal thing, see it in theaters. Of course, for all of this, please see our show notes, but basically we're going to keep it all updated at herd.film. That's H-E-R-D dot F-I-L-M, herd.film as well. Thank you again, and be sure to give us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to build this community and collaborate. IFG, how movies get made.